That fateful morning, I put down my plant, Alice the Aloe, and my coffee. I knocked three times, waited for the witches booming, Enter! Picked up my things and crossed into the heather moss and dried insect smell of my roomie's bedroom. She knelt on the floor, her head under a violet shawl, reciting the hymn to promote the fecundity of the fields. The door to the backyard was open, the feeder swinging with birds. They loved the witch's honeyed insects, and she loved their shit. The witch paused, and the unclean smoke of her room spooled around me. Without moving her head, she said, Note, if there is any disturbance in the air today, we crossed under the light of the worm moon last night, a potent time when those wriggling creatures begin to wend their way through the cold earth. Blessed bringers of beatitude, she howled scathingly. And I nodded as if I knew what she was talking about. I passed through her room and stomped down the steps. An empty packet of cigarettes had blown onto the grass-patched ground. The witch kept crumbs, hairs, plastic strips that protect bottle seals, business-class envelopes, specialty bird shit, and other detritus for her spells. I was always trying to be a good roommate, and I forced myself to leave the white packet there. It would remain part of the tableau, along with the rose bushes, the apocalypse gray condo across the way, an indifferent sky between tree branches, and the chain-link fence that someone had woven strips of plastic through, crude textile art that would soon be removed to go into some biennale. I brushed construction styrofoam off the stairs and made sure Alice was soaking up the early March sunlight. When I'd moved in, someone had left her, IDK why I gender her this way, in the dirt, not even buried, her roots exposed. Before I could take into account that I would be living in a windowless room in a Ridgewood apartment with two strangers, I'd gone to the hardware store to buy her a pot and some better soil and then walked her to the bathroom to get cleaned up. I started carrying her outside with me every morning to get some air. She soothed me if I got sunburned at the gay beach. I sat down on a lawn chair, opened the app, picked up my coffee mug with Future Business School written in faded gold dust, and prepared for some Cali bullshit that would sink my bioeffective levels half a bar closer to depression. The internet is just a low-grade representation of human consciousness, I reminded myself. And all those coding dendrites and coiled fiber-optic cables and locked web server catacombs are shittier versions of how trees talk to each other. Why was I about to look at him if it made me miserable? Human beings are funny, my therapist Sophie always said, which I took as a lighthearted way of accepting that we often run in the opposite direction of our desires, and that even knowing that we're running in the opposite direction doesn't necessarily change anything. In his gram, Aiden stood on the roof of a hotel looking out into the distance. Of course, he was shirtless. He'd set up the tripod and his tattoo could be seen, a shadowy banner across surgically sculpted pecs. He was not in his usual biome. Instead of woven furniture and fruit trees, there were skyscrapers sitting vacant and unfinished. Heaping hillocks of hellfire, I cursed in the style of the witch. He was here. The caption, So grateful to be in the city for a special project. I am always replenished when I get to bathe in the hum of New York, 
sending muscular love and light. My phone's screen started to turn white, and the matchbook-sized hologram projector lifted out of its side. His perfect body hovered in my backyard, just below the cherry blossom tree. Aiden had enough of an audience to activate hologram tech. Welp, I thought. Maybe it's time to see this character IRL. Because when moments are strung together like language, in a breathing place, it is harder to hide behind a pose, a tired line, a landscape overswept. When the hologram faded, I waved my hands through the space where his body had been. Buzzing with anxiety, I texted R, my celebrity booty call. We had met the summer before on Cape Cod due to forces so providential that they proved the tired-ass world was still enchanted. We continued to fuck each other, she a B-list movie star still playing teenagers, and I a melancholic dog-walking trans guy from the non-coast, which made a kernel of inexplicable sense. Hey, I always had to sound aloof. You know, Aiden Chase from the Gram? Could you get me a meeting with him while he's here? She did not respond. Even though we, men, are supposed to be rugged individuals who embark on heroic journeys alone, needing nothing but our siren barren solitude, the truth was, I couldn't stalk Aiden by myself. My other roommate, the stoner hacker, was winding down his midnight to nine shift of galaxy hunt. Soon, he would light a bowl and sleep until three, order some food, smoke another bowl, do some high-level hacking, reject his pinky ring-wearing father's calls about getting a real job, smoke again, and settle in for another nighttime battle as an intergalactic druid warlord. As long as he opened the window, turned on a fan, used Bluetooth headphones to mute the constant bombing of Viking spaceships, and wiped up his late-night microwave explosions, I didn't much care what he did. The fact that we had opposite schedules cut down on the awkward encounters when he walked around in his underwear, yelling at his dad, or trying to press his bean sauce and cheese splattered styrofoam box on top of the trash instead of taking it out. And I had to pretend that I didn't see his medium-sized dick through the opening of his penguin-printed boxers. The SH had assailed me with his immaturity for so long, the molding potato pipes left in the sink, the waking me up at three in the morning to tell me about the colors of his existential dread, the immersing into VR soccer games until he became a dehydrated puddle on the floor and his father called me looking for him, that it was hard to conceive of him as useful. Even so, I found myself walking back through the witch's bedroom. I passed her immobile on the floor, crossed the kitchen, and tapped on his door. No answer. Knocked harder. Hey, man, I said casually, giving no immediate signal that I was stepping out of my role as compliant trans roommate who transferred the SH's untouched delivery food in the sink to the trash can after three days and had a supply of that's okays to all his friends who, before I had robust facial hair used to stumble, she, he, I mean, shit, sorry, I mean, he, does he want to hit? The SH would go, sorry, dude. Do you want some? And I'd say, that's okay, I have stuff to do. I cracked open the door and inhaled a smell lasagna of takeout containers, weed, Febreze over the weed and takeout containers, and some brand of manly cinnamon aftershave.
The SH swiveled around in his desk chair to look at me. He was shirtless in his Grinch boxers, showing his pale little boy chest, which never fattened no matter what he fed it. Can you geotag someone for me? It was less a question of knowledge. I knew he siphoned imperceptible amounts of money from the many bank accounts of his father's clients. Then a question of his willingness to help. I hadn't sent him exasperated texts about the marshes of hair and toothpaste left in the sink in a while. I figured our relationship was in a good place. I don't know, brah. What if I drop off and pick up your dry cleaning? I asked. The pile was probably composting in his closet. The SH's father bought him clothes for the job he wanted him to have, a junior investment analyst, and the SH wore each button-down shirt once over his underwear and then threw it into a pile and closed the door. Can I get that in writing? He asked, his refrain for everything that was too complex for him to parse in a very high moment, and that he would return to during a brief spell of coming down. I wrote out the terms and Aiden's gram info on a stained napkin while he guided his spaceship into the circle of Toth. Before I left the apartment, I grabbed my trunks and a tiny spray bottle of vinegar and tea tree oil to protect my feet from the fungus of the men's locker room. I kissed my pointer finger and placed it on the postcard of a hamburger above my desk, part of my sprawling mood board. Last year, before he left for L.A., Sid had invited all the dog walkers over for drinks in my backyard to try to humanize the disgruntled mass he saw coming in and out of the office with their carabiners and toned calf muscles. Dog walker Jewel got lost on the way to the bathroom, and I'd found her sitting on my bed with the postcard in her lap. She couldn't stop herself from asking, Don't you know that the beef industry is worse for the environment than cars? As if we were still in college, just learning about the atrocities of the world and trying to earn activist cred as a way to get laid. At the time, I said, Um, yes, and walked away. If we could redo that, I would say, Well, Jewel, somewhere out beyond the tidal pools of correctness where everyone is supposed to keep track of rules about all these annoying, marginalized folks you used to be able to make fun of, people have pleasures, and our pleasures are complex, contradictory, and sometimes involve eating hamburger next to an aloe plant in a squat room after fucking a partner who happens to be a celebrity while she wears blindfolds to stay inside her own head. And when she texts to ask you how you're doing, you give her a shrugging emoticon that means, I could bring you a catalog of my feelings, glossy and sportive, like L.L. Bean, with shades more exotic than sea glass and reed green, if we weren't just fuck buddies. You know, if it were possible to annotate the future and the past, my one true wish. Once Sid left for L.A., his business partners fired Jewel due to numerous complaints about her throwing away dog parents' meat-based food products. I missed her sometimes. Ready to enter the aquatic realm, I waited for the train and got on a car with a raspberry pink interior. After seven stops, I exited and walked up the subway steps in Williamsburg and waltzed past jewelry stands where antique pocket watches ticked away. Visitors from far away were safe inside gauzy expectations. They did not notice the towers of empty mirrored condos watching over us. 
I turned toward the shock of color on a bus shelter. For once, all the wires of the universe were connecting. I'd known that R was a model for Vines, the sorta sustainable store that sold basics. However, I had never encountered her likeness on the street before. There she was, taking up the entire side of the bus stop. Creamier. Whiter? Then she looked spread over her bed, blindfolded, pussy-smelling of damp sawdust. In the ad, she was a pure object wearing a plain dandelion yellow dress in a field of unnatural flowers with curling stems and squiggly leaves. They'd naturalized her strange moods, the times when she went vacant or exuberant. I felt protective, not in a patriarchal way, I hope, but as someone who had seen her unkempt, stung by a bee, yelling at her mother on the phone, trying to paint her own nails, picking up a book and then throwing it down a moment later because it reminded her of something more interesting. A regular dude in a Brooklyn hoodie waited for the bus at the edge of the bus shelter. I wondered if he thought I was checking him out. Since I was a short, well-dressed, soft-spoken man, no one could help but assume I was gay. I wanted him to know the inside scoop, that I was actually checking out my babely sex partner on the wall. But the tech had not come out yet that would allow me to present the truth to him in hologram form, and I was still working on the whole verbalizing my thoughts thing. Dude entered the clay, brick-red bus without a glance back at me. It was about time for Senior Swim to change into Adult Swim, and I kept walking down Bedford Avenue. The Metropolitan Pool was built in 1922, the same year its architect, Henry Bacon, designed the Lincoln Memorial, an epoch when cities cared more about the public and less about foreign investors buying up property. In the lobby, I placed my finger on the scanner and got beeped into the natatorium. I no longer worried about someone noticing my lack of thick schlong. Men were so at home in this habitat that they didn't scrutinize. On this first day, after the full warm moon, a few middle-aged men with no bellies lounged on the benches. I took off pants, shirt, and underwear, let my dick have a second out in the air. I came for the light and for the water. Surely, everyone could see my chest scars through goggles with swim-capped, squeezed heads. But underwater, I was no longer trans because trans presupposed a before and an after, one concrete form and then another. There I was, a municipal citizen, using a public amenity, following the rules about removing your lock every night or it will be cut off. And there I was, water meeting chemically treated water, and there I was, in the medium speed lane, trying not to get mad when some dude with a back full of muscle passed me. And there, I found a little capsule of freedom, letting the managed and scrunched-up body unravel into its nature. I moved without all the noise. Light hit the water and moved across the pool floor. And I knew nothing. I had no commentary. All my effort and plotting and holding up of chest had earned me one moment of gliding. You were not technically supposed to use your phone in the locker room, but when I was aching and showered, I took it out and positioned my face against the gray lockers. I was breaking the rules, on top of breaking the social rules about who is allowed to roam safely inside a pack of men. Set timer, ran back to bench, snapped. 
posted to my gram, sans caption. Hot. Men were lying on benches nearby, their dicks slumped and peaceful on their legs. They were in their bliss. They didn't even open their eyes to the shutter sound of my phone. Happy odalisks here in this male harem. I sprayed tea tree oil on my toes and lay back on a bench in the corner, approaching a warm thought about how I'd rather be here in this damp, moldy locker room than anywhere else. Except, maybe, the sauna. I hadn't ventured there yet because the etiquette was total nudity, and I didn't think the motley assortment of aging gay dudes, guys who were unreadable in their vulnerable speedos with slight bellies, and old straight men who wore their necklaces in the water, sending sparkling reflections across the pool floor, could handle the sight of naked pen. Could I? That was always the question. Crystallizing crumpets of Cassiopeia. I decided to go for it. I reasoned, if I get hate-crimed, I'll either detransition or I'll become a queer extremist, beating up gay bashers with a bike U-lock like one of my exes. I slipped on my shirt, left my trunks in the locker, wrapped a towel around my waist, and walked on the slimy floor toward the door marked sauna in yellow painted letters like a sign at camp. The door led to a damp anteroom. I couldn't help but remember all the books from childhood where a lost cabinet, a forgotten wardrobe, a branch-covered door always led the white cis character to some enchanted realm. A beefy guy stared at me. He was shirtless and wore red Adidas track pants. They shimmered in the fluorescent lights like the night ocean. What will you bring to our sanctum? As he said that, I thought, rectum. The more I was permitted to enter male spaces, the freer I was to observe how men were totally obsessed with each other. Huh? I was too busy thinking of how much anal sex had taken place in the locker room to focus. He grabbed my shirt and dragged me back out to the shower area, where two men showered under the same head, their hairy butts almost touching. He pressed my back against the wall, and I felt one of his rings against my breastplate, where there used to be more adipose tissue. No one in the locker room paid any attention. They did not want their languor broken. You think you're a tough guy, huh? This ringed man asked, even as shower spray misted him. No, I really don't. That's not a hang-up for me. I tried to stay calm, inside my knowledge that masculinity was a farce, a pyramid scheme. The sauna is the apex of the male locker room experience. To gain admission, you must pass a test of wills and prove to the assembled body that you are offering some piece of yourself worth hours of poor opening, branch beating, and eucalyptus fresh male bonding. I made rough calculations. I always knew that joining groups meant horrendous and unforetold compromises. Have you ever met a trans before? He reddened. I mean... I could see his internet search history. She-male fucking muscular basketball coaches. She-male strip tees. Tranny fucks naughty buttholes. Okay, well, what if I offered something that would glorify the hormonal structure of testosterone and the male archetype? Yeah? I could do my testosterone shot in the sauna naked, and we could all celebrate the yellow, oily substance and the late blooming of my dick. The white-gray curls of his chest hair were damp. All right. 
on one condition. Yes? That I'm allowed to distribute scientific research proving there is no inherent link between testosterone and aggression. I'll have to check with the Grandmeister. Like from that old TV show? Yeah. The gatekeeper looked sheepish. I'll return in a moment. He opened the door to the sauna, closed it, sending a wave of fragrant air toward me. The grout on the floor had been expertly cleaned and shone white. I waited and waited, counting squares, straining to hear what the Grandmeister might say. Nothing. Finally, I left the anteroom. I had to get to my first client. As I was walking out of the lobby, the guy at the front desk called out, Penfield Ruth Henderson. The Ruth outfitted me in shame. I hadn't changed my name yet. Yes? The Grandmeister will see you next Thursday at 9 a.m. No research. I bowed my head in deference to the pool's whacked-out cultural norms and didn't mention that I might have a scheduling conflict. I walked Augie, Starburst, and Palm Tree together without incident. As Buford took a shit on someone's lawn, a guy in a tank top came flying out the front door and screamed from the top of the stairs. I waved my poop bag at him like a flag, but he was still yelling in Polish, saying something along the lines of, make that dog shit in the street, which was impossible. I smiled and gave him a thumbs up. My first summer dog walking, as Lola, the Havanese, was kicking up dirt to bury the poop that I had already picked up, a small stone hit a dude's Mercedes. He had been washing the other side and poked his head up to give an unbelievable monologue about how he had worked his way up from nothing to buy this car, how it was his baby, having no other family or close relations, and how denting it was analogous to stoning an infant. Lola's parents ended up paying him $500 to stop harassing me, and I realized just how little I could control in the world. Assholes, human and canine aside, walking dogs helped me to recreate the suburban village I had grown up in. During restless, Midwestern summers, as my friend Jillian and I would walk past people on the street or later drive past their homes or the site of their DUIs, we would create a little map of our town, the divorces and the family secrets and the infamous soup party that went awry. The density of our stories vacillating between gossip and tales of biblical proportions. We never tired of embellishing the story about the high school science teachers who hooked up together in the chemistry closet and developed lung problems. When we were thirsty for the epic, we'd say, Remember when Mr. Rhetoric and Mrs. Locke had sex in the chemistry storage closet, and Mrs. Locke's kid Talon walked in, and then he went to rehab and her husband blamed her, and then she was sent to a sanatorium, and then she fell in love with the janitor who made mince pies for all the patients, and then Mr. Rhetoric moved away to Alaska to study salmon hatcheries, but not before carving her name into the big oak tree by the football field as if they had role reversed with their students. From walking my dogs, I could tell which humans had gotten a raise or had broken up or had a detoxing relative on their couch or had decided to move back from whence they came. I took Buford home, envying the fact that he had no clue about the screamer's insults and the general pettiness of human emotion. I walked Harris, back at his apartment, 
and airy bushwick loft with huge vacuumed rugs covering the paint-splattered wood. I sprawled out on the ground, and Harris lay down next to me. I checked my phone. The SH had come through. He'd sent me a link to a basic HTML page with photos of Aiden, some selfies, and some taken by the plethora of cameras in every modern city, along with timestamps and map coordinates. The latest, from 6.02 p.m., was at 40 degrees, 44 minutes, 28.4 seconds north. 74 degrees, 0 minutes, 29.3 seconds west. Blurry Aiden in an elevator. I fumbled around trying to figure out how to read the coordinates, and there it was, his hotel. Once I possessed the key, I had to go through the door. I patted Harris goodbye, and he looked up at me over his long Italian greyhound nose, bemused. 